Welcome to The Blind Spot, a podcast where we explore human instinctual drives through the lens of the Enneagram, nonviolent communication, and resonant healing with personal stories from individuals living real human lives. My name is Karen Nance, self-pres, social, sexual blind, three-wing two, with 371 trifix, and ENTP cognitive preferences. I hope you enjoy these stories. All right, you ready for rejection? <laughs> Never. Yes, sure. I think we should start the podcast that way. So I'm so excited, Belinda, because we've really come on quite a journey together. And I just want to express my gratitude that you've been willing to have all of these different interviews with me because. I think that it is a real gift to the community to just have these conversations out there that can be referenced as what I think is a pretty intense and high-level conversation about each of these object relations, if you want to just listen to it for an hour. Yes. And I'm really excited that your class is starting in two weeks, right? Yes, the 24th. Yeah, I'm really hoping that everybody who's listening uh, knows how to go to its deep life coaching, right? And we'll make sure that the registration page is in the notes, I think. It's Deep Coaching Institute, and it's also possible for them to just go to my website under events. Perfect. So BelindaGore.com slash events or DeepCoachingInstitute.com slash courses. Awesome. Okay. object relations or something. And it's on Fridays during the day, if I'm remembering correctly, for seven weeks. Yes, it's 1130 Eastern. Excellent. All right. Well, I'm planning on being there, so I'm very excited. Excellent. (laughs) All right. So where do you want to start with rejection today? How do you usually like to broach this topic? I have tons of thoughts, observations, and I mean, this one's tender for me because as an attachment type, I find my encounters with people who have a rejection structure to be some of my most painful experiences in life. And it's been really good for my personal growth. How about that? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Where do you like to start? So let's talk about, are you ready for rejection? Yeah, are you ready for rejection? Yeah, tell us about this. I may have even quoted this before because it was so powerful to me. The uh, non-dual teacher, Nasargadatta, talked about desire is the memory of pleasure and fear is the memory of pain. Oh, wow. Yeah. And the rejection types have a memory of pain. Yes. And so the whole rejection structure is an orientation to dealing with pain. Hmm. And if you say, are you ready for rejection? Well, there are different styles of getting ready. Mm-hmm. So... You know, we have the eight-ish style, eight is a rejection type, two and five. Mm -hmm. And we think about those three types as being, in some ways, wildly different. Mm -hmm. I want to start with the basics, that we remember that rejection is one of three dominant affects, Mm -hmm. attachment being the way the central ego is built in terms of finding what we respond to positively Mm -hmm. and looking for more. Mm -hmm. Frustration, which oddly, counterintuitively, is finding something we believe we really want, the golden apple out there, Mm -hmm. and pursuing it. But it's never exactly what we imagined. 
So we keep looking for more. It's as though we have a notion of a moment when everything was perfect, everything was delicious, and we keep trying to find that moment. Yeah. So we're pursuing. Yeah. Rejection, on the other hand, is we were open and experiencing, and then what we were relating to hurt us. So there's pain involved. Yeah. So we experienced being rejected somehow and respond by rejecting. Yeah. I've um, heard Russ refer to it as a psychic amputation. It's <laughs> like, I'm done with that. Like, never mm. again. They just mm. kind of almost push it from their minds because they recognize that there was something they wanted that they mm. didn't get. And yes. so it's this thought, I'm not going to want that and you can't make me. And in fact, I don't even want you anymore. It's just like a complete psychic amputation is how he describes it. Well, and being a five, his personality is built on this rejection structure. Yeah, he knows it intimately. Yeah. And and that's sort of a dramatic way of expressing it. (laughs) Okay. That's how it feels to me, though. I mean, I'm just going to share that my ex-husband's a nine with an eight wing. And even after we divorced, we had this very collaborative relationship for about six years. And then um, he had a partner that felt challenged by me. And that activated all of my anxious attachment type stuff. And, you know, he was really stuck in a difficult situation between trying to make a new person happy and trying Mm. to, you know, navigate the ex-wife and the family system and the kids and all of this. And, you know, we had about six months of like a lot of tension and a fight in a park that then just ended with like, shoo, like self-pres nine wing eight rejection walls are up. And we have never spoken for over four years now. And for him, it was just like, I even moved to New York city, like reject the entire, really, I'm not even going to want this whole family system that I was a part of. And I'm never speaking to you again even though we had 25 years and four children and were divorced for six years before any of this happened. I mean, that is the rejection structure, like hardcore. And it was so destabilizing to me that I then used this, like I said, for so much work these last four years where I had to look inside of myself and say, like, where does this rejection exist inside of me? And as an attachment type, I had a harder time seeing it. But what's so interesting to me is that I can see that I sort of reject rejection. Like I have this rejection structure around Mm -hmm. the rejection structure. And Mm -hmm. so I've had to get like really curious about it because I have this tendency to want to judge it or think that it's bad. Um, And, you know, I'm just this glowing consciousness because I don't have rejection. And yet... If we have an ego, we are in this dualistic frame with so many things. And it's like, oh, I want to identify with all which is, you know, going to make me view like as successful. And I have all these point one object relations. So things that are like good and of course a growth path and forgiveness. And I can polish my halo all day long and yet look at all the things that I'm rejecting on the other side. So That was kind of how I'm coming to be in relationship to rejection and just see if I can 
look at this whole structure less personally, even though obviously from my story, this has been exquisitely painful. And yet, how can I just accept that this is where we are, that this is how it is. And really, for me, this is like holy law, like I'm not in control of how this is going to go down. And who knows, the universe has whatever plan it's going to have. And can we be in flow with that? So I kind of just like to put in little personal bits about how I'm working with it. I'd love to hear your reflection. Yeah, just any thoughts that I generated with my experience with the rejection structure. I'd like to offer a different framework around rejection. Cool. Certainly, we reject the rejecting object. Mm -hmm. But let's kind of unpack this a little bit. Cool. So with type 8, the rejecting object is the mothering or nurturing figure. Mm -hmm. With type 2, the rejecting object is the protecting or fathering figure. Okay. And I... I hesitate on mother and father just because I don't want it to get too gender identified. Mm -hmm. And with five, it's the rejecting object is the family, mm -hmm. is the whole field of home and belonging. Mm -hmm. Now, when you think about this experience happening with really young children, mm -hmm. that's a painful experience. Yeah. And if we say that the ego's built on attachment, and these type structures are built on rejection. Mm -hmm. The whole, as a psychologist, that made me need to sit with the notion of what's rejection all about. Because psychologically, that painful rejection of the primary object would seem to create dysfunctional people. Mm -hmm. But we know some very healthy eights, twos, and fives. Oh, sure. So what's going on? Yeah. And here's my take on it. Yeah. And let's just start with eight. Yeah. That if somebody identifying with type eight, who, who's not identifying, whose personality is being built according to that eight blueprint, mm -hmm. and they're experiencing nurturing, from the mother figure. So I don't know if we can talk about your ex-husband as that eightishness in him having the positivity. Mm -hmm. But then something happens that is experienced as painful. Mm -hmm. It can be everything from the mothering figure says, oh, grow up, to physical abuse. Mm -hmm. I mean, it can the rejection can be a whole uh, continuum mm -hmm. of experiences. But the thing that I think is fascinating is that along with rejection, at a personality level, comes an embedded capacity for resilience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what does the little eight do when she's rejected by her mother figure? She shifts the focus of her attention from the primary object to an alternative. Okay. So she turns to the fathering figure and emulates being the protector, being tough. Yeah. And I always say it's like those little cartoons, you know, so the baby's saying, okay, mommy, you hurt me, but I'm not going to try to get love from you. I'm going to turn toward daddy 
and I'm going to be big and strong and tough, and I'm going to protect others, and I'm going to be strong enough to never let you hurt me again. Yeah. That really so makes the resilience sense. is what we miss sometimes. Oh, yeah. I mean, my dad's an eight. And so I absolutely have grown up with this whole he, <laughs> in our family, we joke that he's the emotional desert because <laughs> mm-hmm. mom is an ESFJ1 and dad is an ESTJ8. So, like, mm-hmm. dad has extroverted feeling as eighth function, like deeply mm-hmm. unconscious which I think, you know, ESTJ, a lot of them are eights, you know, it's just Mm. that I'm going to get in there and get things done kind of thing. A lot of the TJs are often eights. And Mm. they basically have this underlying belief that nobody likes me or wants me unless I'm providing my service. And often this Mm -hmm. is, I can take care of you, I can take care of business, I can protect you, I can get stuff done. And that's like totally how my dad has shown up where He is like the ultimate provider and protector for our family Mm -hmm. and completely Mm -hmm. outsources all nurturing activities to my point one with a two wing mother. So in a lot of ways, they're like this perfect complement where I had a classic nurturing figure and a classic protective figure. That's right. And it's just always been really interesting for me to see that play out in that way. And And what's interesting is that my mom is a frustration type. She doesn't reject people. They just really upset her frequently. (laughs) Whereas like my dad doesn't understand why me as a three or my mom as a one, like why do we even let people bother us? Like Mm. if they're that much of a problem, they just kind of cease to exist for my dad. They're just like not really in his psychic world. I loved many years ago, I I had a client who was big guy, a hockey player. And (laughs) he said, you know, Belinda, I'm really just a big marshmallow in a suit of armor. Mm. And so we remember that the capacity for emotion is there, but it's so protected. Oh, yeah. Like I had a tender moment where I was trying to tell my dad how much I loved him and appreciated him because he's 75 and I just really would love to more emotionally connect with my dad Mm. in these years. And... I guess he hears it, but it's like he just really has no idea how to respond. (laughs) And may not allow himself to have openings in his heart to take it in. Yeah. Because in the heart-challenged types, three, seven, and eight, we believe ourselves to be emotional, but we don't like to be vulnerable. Okay. And so... It's eights protect themselves against vulnerability. Yeah. And believe that they're compensating by giving themselves pleasures. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That, my dad is very hedonistic. He, he's yes. made my type one mother crazy with how much he eats, in, you know, with abandon the last yes. 50 some years. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So it's pleasure will compensate for the lack of that sweet emotionality that feels yeah. vulnerable. Yeah. Well, and I so just like to the highlight, eight. though, they're so sweet, though. Like, eights, oh, they yeah. just aren't warm and fuzzy about it. Like, the other story I'll just share is one of his friends who's 80 and developed Parkinson's and some dementia. 
He went to spend a week with him so his wife could have a respite, basically. And when he got there, it was hysterical because he started on with like the group texts to the wife and the two daughters that she was with and my mom just going through the house being like, okay, these are all the things that Jim needs. And like immediately took him out and was buying a different chair and a different television (laughs) and like remodeling their house without permission, (laughs) but all for the service of his friend that he just desperately wanted to have the best experience that he could have. And it was sweet and a very eightish way of providing it. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. So (laughs) it's, it's turning from the nurturing figure to the protecting figure so nurturance, if you will, gets manifest as protection. Yeah, he didn't want him on the stairs because he was going to fall and hurt himself because he can't do right. stairs anymore. Right. Like, like the classic, I need to protect you. Yeah. So let's flip it and look at type two. Okay, yeah. So twos experienced rejection from the protecting figure. Mm-hmm. It's uncanny when I look at stories of twos. Uh, a man I have known in the past whose father went to war mm-hmm. and died, was killed. And so he was sort of this larger-than-life father figure who had abandoned him. Yeah. My mother was a two. Her father died when she was 24, and they had a large family, and he had several jobs, and he was on the road to some degree. Uh, So he wasn't there. And so a lot of twos can feel as though the father figure either abandons them or is hurtful somehow. Mm -hmm. And so it's that same little caricature of the baby saying, Daddy, you're not here or you're hurting me. So I'm going to turn my attention toward an alternate primary object I'm going to become the ultimate nurturer. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be the, I'm going to make myself be everything that the nurturer is. And in that way, I will get people to love me and need me so much that they'll protect me and take care of me and respond to me in the way that you didn't. So there. Yeah. And I think it's why twos have such a hard time asking for what they want, because it becomes, then I'm becoming like the rejecting figure. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I don't want to be that way. So I'll be indirect. And, you know, that has its own set of problems. Well, and we know that the thing twos are looking for more than anything else is love and connection. And it's almost as if the structure has just created for them that like, as long as I can provide service and my love for you, there's a place for me. Yeah. So we know that. And you'll protect me. And you'll protect me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's important because having a place is more like the home and family and belonging. Yeah. And what the deep longing for two is, is to know that somebody will be here with me. Yeah. Well, and I have a monster two wing. And so I relate with so much of that structure. And honestly, like that's what happened with my ex-husband and I is that my structure at two got triggered 
because mm. I had expected, because for six years post-divorce, I still had this protection, both financial mm. and social, from mm -hmm. my ex-husband, even though our partnership was over. And yeah. so that activated everything inside of my structure. Mm. And I was rejecting everything that his new partner was bringing into the space in a very stress arrow from two eight-ish type way, which, yes. you know, watch the eight energy against eight energy. Mm. We know that never ends well. So, you know. And, and what you bring up is curious, isn't it? Because uh -huh. this back and forth with primary objects yeah. Two goes to eight, yeah. and eight also goes to two. Mm -hmm. So there's a kind of a seesaw, if you mm -hmm. will, a balancing, nurturing and protecting. Yep. Those dynamics are big in eight and two. And so then we look at five and we go, you know, what's left? Mm -hmm. But for five, the primary object is the family or home yeah. or belonging or being in the body, showing up. And therefore, we think, well, what else is there? Mm -hmm. And I believe that fives turn the outer gaze inward mm -hmm. and create an interior world where instead of feeling rejected by the other, they're in charge. Okay. And so I, I think computer games are a perfect example yeah. Of fivishness. Yeah. You know, saying, I'm going to have my own inner world. Right. And so you have a great example is Trekkies, you know, Star Trek aficionados who create an entire alternate universe and learn to speak Klingon and dress up as characters. Yeah. Absolutely. So that I interact primarily with people who understand my interior world. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, and, you know, when we think about how fives have this issue with the family, you know, if you're an eight, you can take on the role of being the protector. If you're the two, you can take on the role of being the nurturing function. Whereas if you're a five, it's kind of like, I have no role to play in the family because I don't protect or nurture so I'm not even going to depend on being a member of this group. I mm. kind of put myself outside of it. And it, you're speaking exactly to one of the characteristics for five is believing there is no place for me. Right. And they that give their gift via the center that they come from, which is the head center. Right. Right. So really, if I can't talk with you about whatever it is I've collected in the head space, then I really have no basis for connection with you. Right. Yeah. Yes. Well, and I and, love... Yeah, go ahead. Well, just the, the notion that the place is... I don't even sometimes feel connected to you. Yeah. So much as my knowledge gives me a place to stand. Yes. And then I'll deliver it to you. Yes. And you can interact with me as the expert. Yes. But it, it takes a lot for there to be really a flow of connection and interaction. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and obviously with any of these types, as they do their work, they're not right. being governed by their structures. We're talking about somebody at a very average level of development. Exactly. And as we continue to grow, we know that, you know, fives become embodied and can hold all of that sensitivity that they're carrying. And we know that mm -hmm. eights reclaim their heart and that, mm -hmm. um, you know, we all... What? What do twos do then? They re 
Here's the funny thing, twos yeah. with ones and sixes. Yeah. What the the center that's not so active is the head center. Interesting. And it gets confusing with people when I'm teaching this. It's like, but they're smart. Yeah, it's not about intellect. Mm -hmm. It's about feeling comfortable, uh, secure. That's a better Mm -hmm. word because security is around the father figure. Mm -hmm. Feeling secure, relying on my own capacity Hmm. to observe and assess the situation. Interesting. Okay. And so we know sixes are rule followers, Mm -hmm. ones are rule followers, Mm -hmm. and sometimes people don't recognize that twos are rule followers, but it's about emotions and relationship. Absolutely. Yeah. People know I'm becoming a typologist with Myers-Briggs as well, and a lot of twos are ESFJs or ENFJs. And this type is very concerned with social rules. Like they're definitely going to be the one that it's teacher appreciation week. We'd better get the right Right. gift in every single day. You know, I just came off of a senior basketball night and I'm so grateful there were so many twos on the team because like the balloons and the posters and like, you know, all of the ways that you do things. Yeah. It's just such a gift that I have twos in my life. Well, on one hand, it's that everybody knows this is how it really should be. Yeah. You know, it's that's that's the way the rules come through. Yeah. And actually I hadn't really seen this as clearly. My daughter-in-law is a two. Yeah. And she's wonderful with my granddaughter in terms of, you know, the balloons and the parties and yeah. the special experiences. Oh my God, and amazing. that's what my mother was good at. Mm-hmm. You know? And my mom, because she's a one with a two wing and that's how uh-huh. she, she does it. It's like that double super ego. I'm going to make sure I do, you know, an yeah. ESFJ with that one with a two wing. I'm going to make sure that I do all of that harmony as a woman, you know, exactly mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Yeah. And so you see one and two together, both compromised in the head center. Right. So it's two different sets of rules. Right. And so that's why, you know, sometimes they call one with a two wing and two with a one wing double dutifuls. Yep. But it's it's dutiful being dutiful to the set of rules. Absolutely. Because I don't trust my own ability to ass- I mean, if I were a, a two or a one, I don't trust my own ability to accurately observe what's happening, put it together and come to an accurate conclusion that can guide my behavior. Yes. Therefore, I will base my mothering on having parties for special events. And yes. I'll go from one, you know, Valentine's Day to St. Patrick's Day to Easter as the focal point for how to be in the world. Yes. I mean, I have so much compassion for ones with two wings and twos with one wings. I actually have a lot of them in my medical practice because Mm -hmm. they are so much in service to others because Mm -hmm. they have that combination of the one and the two energy that this is what I do and it has to be perfect Mm -hmm. that they really exhaust themselves. And the way that they tend to nurture themselves is not ways that are real true nourishment. You know, I have an obesity medicine practice and especially the twos. I don't see it with the ones. The ones with the two wings, um, they're a little more perfectionistic and controlling about the way that they eat. 
Whereas the twos with the one wings, they really have that hole that they're often trying right. to fill with comfort. And it's right. not always food, but I've seen in my weight management practice, I was so surprised how many twos I was seeing in the weight management program. And it's twos and it's nines. And, mm-hmm. you know, you can see any type, but I would say twos and nines yes. because they're looking for that comfort, emotional component with food is often who I see in my program. So we see two who has is naturally oriented toward the father figure, mm-hmm. but has turned toward nurturance mm-hmm. and keeps trying to self-nurture without asking too much for themselves. Right. And food is one of the big ways that it's legal. Yep. And not breaking it's rules. Comforting and it's I give it to other people. Yeah. You know. But I also find that a lot of twos are self-conscious about their own eating. As oh, yeah. though, you know, I don't want other people to see me eat because right. then they'll see that I need this yeah. nurturance or comfort. It, it's a huge thing. I'm glad we just brought that out because I think that, you know, I have a program I teach called Eat Right Now, and it's all around bringing mindfulness to the eating mm-hmm. behaviors. And when these twos discover all of these emotional connections and other ways to nourish that part of themselves that's hungry, yes. Yes. it really can be liberating for people. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh. Well, and I also just want to name, you know, I have so much of the So this is interesting. I want to just float this by you. So my two stuff comes out in my sexual instinctual space for the most part, like with Mm -hmm. intimate partners or people that were intimate partners, because Mm -hmm. what I've recognized is that I don't really expect people to protect me like professionally in my work zone or like Mm -hmm. with friends or like out in the world. But when I do become intimate with somebody, I totally like to go to the more like submissive, you take care of me in this mm. space kind mm. of a role. Interesting. So this was why I sort of, and, and I'm sexual blind. So it's like a part of myself that I hate looking at. Like I, it feels mm. really cringy and yucky to me, but also that's where my femininity comes through because in the rest mm. of my life, I'm pretty masculine, mm-hmm. but um, more of that receptive, you know, um, type of stance. So I had to do a lot of curiosity. I, I joke that before I landed on three, I thought I was every type except nine or five. And, <laughs> and one of the things that um, I heard Russ say once is that a two that doesn't want to give is a three or a seven. And those were the two <laughs> types that I landed on at the end. Right. And yes. yeah, I kind of couldn't vibe with two and everybody that knows me intimately because you know, I am a doctor and I like to coach. And I mean, I have all this two energy where it's like, what do you need? Like, let me help you. Except for like, once I get home with a partner or my mom or my sister, I'm just like, eh, you guys can do it. How long can I sit here on the couch with my dad watching football or something like that? Yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Um, nobody's seen that. As you were describing relationships, because I'm three with a four wing dominant, but but I do the same thing because I'm sexual blind as well. Okay. And my late husband and my ex husband many years ago were both nine years older than me. Mm-hmm. And so I was younger and that made it possible for me to be strong and capable and all those kinds of things, but also be taken care of. Yeah. And now I'm 
in a relationship with somebody much younger than myself. And I keep trying to find a way to get taken care of. Interesting. And he doesn't see me in the same way. Yeah. And so I think we're challenged in for us as threes in our own heart space yeah. to be vulnerable yeah. without being taken care of. Yeah. Is it, I mean, it's a... I, to be vulnerable without being taken hour. care of. No, I just want to look into this for a minute. Say more about that because I'm not quite tracking that statement. Because mm. I kind of am pretty open. Like, I, I actually say you wouldn't believe it because in every other area of my life, I like to run things. But when we hang out together, I would really prefer you to take the reins, is what I say. You know, and I just, well, I don't know, is that that's vulnerable not or your not? Vulner- that's okay. not your vulnerability, Kara. Okay. Vulnerability is when we're hurting Got or it. when we're insecure. Yeah. How do we handle our insecurity in a conscious yeah. uh, way that is, we, we put it out there right. without being young or cute or seductive or anything else. Right. We're just, I feel vulnerable right now. Yeah. You know, I'm, I like that you said that. Well, first of all, that's one of the reasons why my relationship with my ex-husband failed was because when we had had, you know, three babies in four years and I'd been pregnant or nursing for five years straight and he was out of town all week working and I was still trying to be a doctor 30 hours a week. Wow. You know, I literally was at my wits end and he actually didn't even want as big of a family as I did. And I kind of pushed for it in my own point three assertive way. (laughs) And so then I had so much deep shame that actually he was right. And I felt like I was failing at Mm. sort of running the home front and working. Mm. And I was never able to name that. Like that's only Mm -hmm. been something that I've been able to connect with in post-processing. And at the time I reacted like a very average three where I was impatient and just frustrated and like blaming everybody else for their incompetency because I was the only one that was doing anything around here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's, I ended up ultimately generating contempt for him Mm -hmm. and because he's a nine, so he's Mm -hmm. not going to do things like a three. And, you know, that's Andy's your stress point. And we, we tend to not like people of our stress point. Oh, right. There's so much to judge there, of course. That's right. Yeah, that's why it's our hidden piece. We have to Mm. claim that lazy side inside of ourselves and work with that. So that's really interesting. And then I was going to transition it to kind of how I'm trying to hold that stuff right now. Like I'm actually going through a really tough week because I'm about to do a photo shoot for my new website Mm -hmm. and my social media things. And as a sexual blind three, sort of, Figuring out my flavor and putting myself out there. And, <laughs> yes. you know, and I'm doing a page where I'm going to embody self preservation instinctual energy, social instinctual energy, and sexual instinctual energy. Mm. And uh, the amount of anxiety I'm having about this. And I'm actually dating a photographer right now who is like kind of helping like take pictures of me like for practice. Mm. And I yeah. just have told him, I'm like, I feel awkward. I feel dorky. Like I am immediately being taken back to that awkward child that I was, that was a very late bloomer that never even considered that anybody might consider I was attractive until like 10 years ago. You know, it's just like all that young child stuff is like coming up and I'm kind of putting it out there 
But I wonder if I'm really open in my heart about it because I don't know this person that well. So if he rejects me mm. and that part of me, I'm not that deeply invested. Yeah. So you've just really given me a lot of stuff to look at because vulnerability, I think, is one of the things as a three that we continue to lie to ourselves about because I don't even know if I know what true vulnerability really looks <laughs> like or feels like. Do you? Yes. <laughs> yes. I, I know. I I think I there were two ways that I discovered, not discovered, that I experienced my vulnerability. One, quite frankly, is back when I was having a, a menstrual cycle and I would I would be in PMS and suddenly all of my capacity for holding myself together would just fall apart for about 36 hours. I have the same thing. <laughs> yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's terrible. And so, I mean, my husband would get worried about me. Mm-hmm. And I'd say, no, I'm not having a breakdown. I, you know, I'm just falling apart and I'll come back in a few hours. Mm. The other thing that made a difference, we've talked about, I'm in a diamond approach group and have been for 16 years, almost 17. And in our, particularly our small groups, where there was a, a holding environment that I came to trust, yeah, and teachers I came to trust, I let myself open up. Yeah. And I'm really grateful for that. Yeah. And so... I think when I went through my husband's cancer and death, been almost nine years ago, but I was able to process all of that with all my vulnerability showing. Mm. And I grieved. Yeah. And grieving is, is a very vulnerable experience. Yeah. If we really let ourselves go into it. Yeah. And so I think grief and loss are part of what the heart center types two, three, and four are grappling with even more than the other two triads. Yeah. No, I totally know what you mean. Sort of coming out of this issue with my ex-husband that I mentioned, I entered an intense period of grieving. And yeah, there were some people that were there for me and true vulnerability through all that. And I really think that that was what brought me to what I consider to be a shock point about six months ago, where, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that you're right. I think that's my experience of true vulnerability and true surrender and true, like just accepting helplessness. And, Mm -hmm. and it, and it is interesting, you know, I tell everybody pretty openly, I'm in a liminal space right now. I'm trying to figure out how much medical doctoring I'm going to do, how much, Enneagram teaching I'm going to do and everything else. And it's really uncomfortable. And even just, you know, being 49, I mean, I'm perimenopausal, like all of it. It's just like, who am I? And it's that whole time in our life where I think I'm just speaking for threes. It is an opportunity to really look at who have I taken myself to be Mm -hmm. and which parts of this egoic structure Am I grateful for? Because, you know, we don't have to demonize yes. the ego. There exactly. are a lot of great things about all of our egos and which parts of it have been a trap that I want to stay more conscious of. And 
just navigate differently when these situations present themselves in my life. Yes. Yeah. Right. And it's, you've just spoken beautifully about what draws so many people to the Enneagram. Yes. Is wanting some guidance for these, as you call it, a liminal space or Mm -hmm. a shock point, big events in our lives that lead us to asking ourselves, who am I? Yeah. My mother died 23 years ago. But I remember that for the first time, I thought, wow, if my mother can die, sounds so simple, but if my mother can die, so can I. Yeah. And I think it was the first time I really came to terms with my own mortality. Yeah. And that's when I started the Enneagram Institute of Central Ohio. And that's when I started taking a really deep dive into the Enneagram. I learned it about seven or eight years previously, but I circled back around with Don and Russ and got serious about what I was doing. Because dominant instinct again? Dominant instinct is social. Yeah, I thought so. Okay. It's interesting to me, you triggered that for me because I'm dominant self-pres social, so we Mm -hmm. have the same blind spot. But for me, that whole, oh, I could die too, that's actually Mm -hmm. what visited me first in my life. Like I was a teenager who used to read every single book on like a kid with a brain tumor, a kid with leukemia. And like, I mean, I was a little bit neurotically obsessed about death mm. and dying and mm. illness. And that's actually why I became a doctor. It was I driven was by just fear. going to say, yeah. yeah. That sounds it was totally like... driven by fear because it was like, mm. I developed such a obsession that came out of a neurosis it really wasn't to help people but then in getting the degree I also enjoy helping people so it worked out great Mm. but um I kind of got desensitized because once you go through medical school and residency and you're literally living in the ICU and watching people die like I kind of got to a place of acceptance around that and I'm wondering Mm. if and now I'm doing more work around social and sexual instinctual energy stuff, because Mm. since I was so neurotic at the get-go about Mm. the self-pres stuff, it kind of Mm. demanded more integration and work. And that's why I teach unwinding anxiety because of all of my (laughs) health phobias that I had. And you wouldn't believe at, you know, in addition to all the twos I see in my weight, twos and nines in my weight management program, I see all the other types with a lot of health anxiety. And, Mm -hmm. you know, just how to navigate that. And I love using the Unwinding Anxiety program. I'm like, well, this is what helped me. I hope maybe it can help you because we all are going to have one of these neuroses that we just have to come to terms with. And so, I mean, just look at, uh, I dealt with my social instinct by becoming a psychologist and a psychotherapist and then a coach and executive coach. And I'm interested in object relations. Which yeah. is all about relationships. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. Whereas yeah. I'm coming to that now. You know, it's yes. like, I, yeah. yeah. So we all have all of it, but it's just exactly. almost like, how does it present? And that's what I always say. A lot of people don't see me as self-pres and sometimes they think that I'm a six, but I'm like, no, that's like my self-pres anxiety that you're mm-hmm. seeing. And that's why self-pres threes can look like ones or sixes because I've been mm-hmm. mistyped as both by yes. others. But the other thing I wanted to highlight, because it is related to the point five and two structure, you know, a lot of times specifically with fives, you know, we talk about the schizoid attachment that they have. Mm -hmm. And this is sort of a detachment 
from felt sense to get away from overwhelm. Mm -hmm. And I would say, I just wanted to highlight as we wrap up this episode on rejection, that this is another way that that we can find rejection inside of ourselves is how do we get away from a sense of overwhelm? Because there are a lot of different ways that we reject our experience. And Mm -hmm. I heard Russ talking about this too. And I thought it was really interesting. And I just wanted to highlight because, you know, the point five having a schizoid defense structure Mm -hmm. is I think what we all classically know. But when he highlighted that nines, threes, sevens, and twos all have this schizoid attachment strategy in some Mm. flavor. Mm. I just wanted to highlight that for anybody listening to this episode that's trying to find rejection inside of themselves. Mm. And, you know, I like the trifix model. And, you know, my ex-husband was 935, which has Mm. all three with a schizoid Mm. pattern in them. And Mm. for me, as a 371, I had like double schizoid. And, you know, Mm. as I've sort of unpacked and tried to understand like what the hell happened, It's we spent so much of our life just not dealing with emotional issues. Mm -hmm. And it's so Mm -hmm. easy for both of our structures to have just kind of detached from anything that was too uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and go Mm -hmm. to our competency centers and just come up with a logical solution until our own logic failed us. Emotions now flood. And this is just yet another reason why I care so deeply now about staying connected to my heart about Mm -hmm. doing mourning in a more direct and healthy way, which is what resonant healing is all about for me, visiting these moments where deep healing is needed. Because when that stuff floods, it's never pretty if we've just been kind of pushing it aside, pushing it aside. I want to speak to at least for three and seven among Mm -hmm. the types. I don't remember. You said five, nine, three, seven, and two, two maybe two as well, Uh, three, seven, and two also can move toward the narcissistic defense structure. So I'm more, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, Here's what I'm wanting to say is that while you're saying that Russ said, all these types are prone to a schizoid structure, just because you're a three or Mm a nine doesn't mean that's your primary defense. Right. Because as a three, threes are very narcissistic sometimes. Mm -hmm. What I think he's speaking to is that the heart isn't available. Yes. Thank you for clarifying that. Yeah. Which is true for sevens. Can also be true for I think there's sometimes self-pres can be a little more schizoid Uh than the other two uh, instinctual tendencies. That makes sense. And so... One of the things that you and I have talked about that we always want to talk about is when we're saying threes do this and fives do that and so Mm -hmm. forth, is that we're talking about structural tendencies. Yes. We're talking about the the blueprint and the two by fours for the structure of our personality, Mm -hmm. but we're not speaking about the specific individual all the time. Of course not, right. And you've said it many times. I just want to say it one more time so that your listeners are reminded that it's like, oh, I'm a seven, therefore I must always be either schizoid or positive or narcissistic. It's We have all these ways 
these frameworks, these windows for looking at ourselves, but we want to learn about all of it so that then we can notice the quality of the experience rather than just having a mental model and ticking things off the list. For sure. And especially if we're going to be using these models for growth, I think that's so important because, you know, we may identify with a certain structure, but if we're not looking at all the other structures that are in our shadows that are still Mm -hmm. showing up in ways that we're not conscious of, we're never going to integrate those pieces. So, you know, I love typology and I really want to build a business where this is a key component of what I do. And it's so important to me that people understand that the Enneagram, the base is the law of one, which is that we Mm -hmm. all possess all nine points. And that when we're talking about, we're not even saying like, I'm a three, it's that I identify at point three. So like when I'm in structure, when I'm not present, when I'm acting out a default pattern, it's often going to look like this. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I just really appreciate that you brought that up. And I think it's so important that we're not trying to put people in boxes. We're trying to help ourselves see the boxes we've put ourselves in and use it as a map to get out. Yes, exactly. Well, thank you, Belinda. This has been a wonderful series. I am so grateful that we now have it in the collection. And I'm really looking forward to your upcoming class. Thank you. I'll look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks on Zoom. All right, good. Thank you. I've enjoyed our conversations a lot. Me too. Thank you. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and various Android platforms. If you leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, it helps a lot. If you have any questions you'd like addressed in a future episode, please email me at contact at enneagramblindspots.com. I also offer a wide variety of services at my practice while Essence MD, including typing services, Enneagram coaching, nonviolent communication training, and mindfulness trainings for working with stress, anxiety, and food cravings. Feel free to call my office at 847-850-8185 to schedule a free consultation.